Hi, welcome to another show of Wake Up With Joy. I'm here with Anna Davidson, who is the co-owner of Jesse Jean's Coffee Beans and Ogdenite of the Year. It's actually a really huge honor. And this podcast is brought to you again by Thin Air Media here in Ogden. So if you have any media needs, reach out to Thin Air Media. Anna, thanks for being here today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for asking me. I know it's, it was kind of crazy and hectic getting things lined up and you came and even though it was like right by your birthday, you yeah. happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your, your work and then your purpose within your work. So the work is the cafe, which yeah. is where we put most of the work. Um, and that's the physical and the creativity as far as food goes as a medium. Such good food. And we've oh been at goodness. that 19 years. So I started November 1 of 2000. So we're coming up on 20 years with that. Wow. And Ron has wow. been in it with me since 2009. Okay. So that has just um, evolved. I originally just wanted a little coffee shop in Roy, Utah, uh, because I moved here and couldn't find coffee. <laughs> and then... In Utah? Realized... Weird. 25 years ago that right. that was quite taboo. Yeah. So I went against the grain and started a coffee shop next to a LDS bookstore. Mm. So lots of controversy from the very beginning. Um, and our food just evolved. We quickly realized that food wasn't going to, like coffee was just not going to be enough. So then we, you know, we just started doing sandwiches and wraps and I just kind of, you know, I always did the treats, but then it just kind of evolved more and more and more and more. So that's kind of the history of the food portion of it. Mm -hmm. um, and Roy it was a smaller um, dynamic, smaller demographic to deal with. We were a standalone building. We were our own little space. So people came to us. Yeah. Um, so people came to us um, that had, you know, had issues going on. And I have always hired people that no one else would hire. Um, because I don't think anyone's disposable. So I was I like that. I was always hiring people through youth programs and felons and through job programs and people would call me from DWS and such and say I have this person that no one else will give an opportunity to will will you talk to them and so for years I've hired people that no one else would hire um, and it's worked out quite well for the most part and um it's a lot of them keep in touch and have come back around and have really good lives and are doing amazing things. And it makes me quite proud to be able to have been a piece of that. Right. So then when we moved to Ogden. Which wasn't that long ago. No, not even quite a year yet. We, it's so different. Um, and there's a lot of, it's hard. It's, uh, there's a lot of controversy almost in the way people deal with homelessness and addiction and mental health issues and it's kind of very taboo and it's clicky in Ogden more so than I thought mm -hmm. and I'm not clicky so so I want to give just a little bit of background here so that our listeners and, re and viewers know what we're talking about so your shop Jesse Jean Coffee Beans you employ people that I mean when I asked you that very same question, I said, so what's the criteria that you look for when you're hiring people? I have three rules. Don't, don't lie. 
because mm-hmm. the truth is always better. Don't be late because it's disrespectful to everyone involved. And don't steal from me because if I had it, I'd help you. Those See, are my I rules. I love how you don't how you you follow that up with a reason. Right. That is beautiful. But that's not what you said to me. What did I say to you? You said to me, I hire people that are as broken as I once was. Truth. And I, oh my, see, I'm tearing up again already. It was so beautiful. And I thought, oh my goodness, that is pay it forward to the max. And when you walk into Anna and Rana's store, shop, cafe, (laughs) whatever it is, (laughs) it's all of the above, um, sanctuary, when you walk into Ron and Anna's sanctuary, it immediately uh, opens up to a, a, a little entryway where there's clothing, clothing for homeless people that, that they can come and they can look through the clothing and, and they can get something right. that they need. And then you have a, a, a meal program. Yep. And what's that meal program called? The Pay It Forward program. Pay It Forward program. Mm-hmm. And that's where customers can buy a meal for, uh, you know, either homeless or someone less fortunate, someone that's needing that meal. It doesn't necessarily just have to be homeless, although that has been the majority of what we have been doing. Um, And so we ring it up on the register like a regular meal. We pull the ticket, we hang it above the pass. And then as people come in that we use, we pull them down and and just hand them over to the kitchen and cook the food. But it's evolved into every morning, Monday through Friday now. Uh, We were doing it originally seven days a week and the staff and everyone started to get burned out um, because it's, you got to have balance. And we weren't, we weren't, uh, we had to fine tune things as we went along so that we could create that balance mm-hmm. for Ron and I and for all the employees. Right. Um, so now we do it Monday through Friday and we feed 10 meals every morning at 6 a.m. Wow. So they come in at six in the morning, right when we open. Some of them help put the table out front. They wait for the coffee. We have rules like we have to get the tacos made for the paying customers first because without the paying customers, the program doesn't work. And we've kind of articulated it along the way. So, so you've set up some, some healthy rules and boundaries and guides. The very first rule on the door is you must be respectful or you're out. And you mean it. I mean she it. She means business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no there's no deviating from that rule. Right. Because you can be homeless or you can be not homeless. You can have addiction. You can not have addiction. But if you can't show respect, then you don't belong. Right. So. And this is not, a, you, have a, you have a degree. Yes. And your degree is not restauranteering and it's not business management. No. And it's not any of those things. No. What's your degree? My degree is in social work with a minor in sociology. And so you're, I would say that you're still kind of in that field. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's ironic because when I started college, I started in political science and journalism. Okay. Started in political science because the more young people I employed that I saw falling through the cracks, the more I wanted to try to do something And so I thought political science would be this great way to do it. And then it evolved again. And I got to the point where I actually went to a counselor at the university and said, okay, this is where I'm at. And I had done everything on my own to that point. And my counselor said, you're only this far away from a social work degree because you've concentrated everything in these types of classes. So why don't you go that direction? And so here I am. Wow. 
Yeah. Putting it to good use. Yeah. Um, it's difficult in in the social work field because with just a bachelor's, you can really only do case management and things like that. You can't do clinical. You can't do any of that. So the next level is the master's, which is, you know, another $35,000 for the program. So that's kind of in waiting. <laughs> it's part of the balance. Yes. Part of the balancing act. Now, every time I'm in there, there are some, it's a very, I would say, eclectic group. Yeah. Right? It's like a melting pot of people. Right. And the one of the things I love about your shop is that it's so inclusive. And even even your mismatched mugs right. remind me of the, the, the mismatched individuals that come in, but they create this collection of people. Yeah. And it's cool, isn't it? It's very cool. I like it because... So the mugs, that's ironic you bring up the mugs, because the mugs were huge in Roy. That was like a ritual for people to pick through and find the mug that suited them for that day. And we didn't originally start with it in Ogden. And I was like, I have to bring this back. This is a piece of who we are. And so you can take the time to filter through those mugs. And it's a cup exchange. So if you find a mug that you can't live without while you're there, you take it home. But you have to bring one back to replace it. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's a continual give and take. It's a continual share. And so it's the same with the people. It's the same with the clothing. The clothing in the center is a self-sustained. Customers bring it in. They set it out. The homeless, there's a rule there as well. If you dig through to find what you need, you have to fold it and put it back the way you found it. So it just, I don't do anything in it that cultivates center. cultivates respect. Yeah. Everything that you do cultivates respect and, and a conscientious attitude towards others. I hope. It does. I think, uh, I just said this to Ron the other day, I was looking at all the staff in the kitchen, and I said, you know what, honey, we've created a group of people that get it. And all the, all, you know, I call them kids when they're not all kids, but they all kind of like looked at each other for a minute and realized what I meant by that without even having to go further into it. Right. Because here they are, young adults working, and not all of them are young adults. Some of them are, you know, they're most of all of them are mothers, though. Um, and they're working, and they're giving back, and they're grateful for the experience instead of expecting something from it. They've learned in their hearts what it truly is about. And how do you think that you have... Um helped some people you know you, you don't have the same people that you started with there's been a filtration process of mm -hmm. people and how how have you been able to help some people through when other people they just don't make it don't make it generally the ones that don't make it are the ones that still have to figure out what it means to work and to be a good person and they need to articulate who they are sometimes they come back around I call them retreads, like tires. <laughs> and I've had a lot of them <laughs> over the years. And sometimes they just need to go out and, and figure it out first and then come back around. Right. And we have a few of those. And we have some that have been there since the beginning. Um, since we moved to Ogden, we have probably, f I want to say at least five of our like 13 right now that are that original crew. And a couple of them have kind of gone and come back already. Um, 
and a few of them have mental health issues that they've struggled with and they've left and then came back and decided that it's a safe space for them to figure out all of the other broken pieces at the same time and they have a place to work and do that and people that they can talk to that get it. So let's talk a little bit about the safe space for a minute because it your your shop really is, I, I keep saying shop, but your sanctuary, uh, it really is a, a safe space. And um, I know you have a place in your heart that's near and dear for people with mental health issues. Yes. Um, I know that that's something that you guys have. Um, like I said, there's a place in your heart for it, and there's there's experience there with you with with people you know and and um, I don't want to get into any topics that you don't want to discuss. Well, we're very open so about it. So, okay. um, Ron, my husband, is diagnosed bipolar and he has PTSD from childhood trauma, severe childhood trauma. Um, so, and I personally am diagnosed with severe depression and anxiety, um, dealt with suicidal ideation, um, all of the facets and the pieces that go with that right. we've dealt with. And Ron has come full circle. When I first met him, he didn't believe that he was worth anything and was determined to run me out of his life. Um, very much so. And I refused to go away. So finally he was just like, I have to give in. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> And I think you that's were the immovable rock. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, he would push and he would push and he would push and he would, you know, part of mental health, part of mental illness is, first of all, it is not who you are. It's a piece of what you deal with. And so much so people forget, uh, we have such a stigma around it and we have, it's so taboo to speak about that, that people, they don't want anyone to know because they're scared for judgment. One, they should be able to just scream from the mountaintops. This is not who I am. This is what I have. And these are the pieces that I deal with. Um, just today, Ron and I were talking about that he, he thinks that one of the reasons that people end up leading to suicide that have mental health issues is because they get so tired of saying, I'm sorry, all the time. I'm sorry for the outburst. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's like this constant battle. And in reality... I get it. I get what he's saying because it's so easy to just give up because all you do is just fight. You're fighting yourself. You're fighting, you're fighting your strength. You want to, you're fighting to stay alive every day. Yeah. And when you do that and you feel like you're disappointing people, you give up. And so people think that suicide is this big selfish thing. And it's in that person, it's the least of what they're thinking of in their minds. They are talking to themselves about this is the best thing for my family. I'll no longer hurt them. I can't, you know, it's, I've been there, so I get it. Yeah. And so when I hear people say someone is selfish that committed suicide, I have some very foul words for them because until you've walked in a person's shoes that f fights and struggles, you don't have any idea what it's about. Yeah. So, yeah. That whole, um, if you're okay, I'd like to talk about vulnerability and, and shame. Yeah. I think this is a good segue for that. Your sanctuary or your safe place that you have, people don't have to feel ashamed no. right there. Now, when you said that people get tired of saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So let's let's take the, the apostrophe out of that. I am sorry 
that's not who we are. No. We are not sorry. We are individuals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so we don't need to be sorry. Maybe maybe some pieces of us are pieces that we don't like. Right. But that's not all of us. That's not who we are. Those are pieces and components. And we are perfectly imperfect. Yep. And we are not sorry. And that is what we are not. And that's what we need to that's what we need to change in our society. What you just said is perfectly articulated of what we need to change. Because as long as people continue to judge and and force people like Ron to think that there's something wrong with him, we're going to continue to have suicides and you know all these things that people don't understand. And the pieces of people that they're most judgmental about are the pieces of people that they're most ashamed of, right. that they struggle with. But they, if they point it out in someone else, it takes that light off of them, that, that attention that, that they think is on them. Right. But all it does is create more shame and secrecy inside that person while shaming another person. Yeah. And so... Um, at my house, oh, I have teenagers. <laughs> yes, I've met them. <laughs> Feel sorry for me. <laughs> I have a 17-year-old and then someone who is turning 13 this coming week. That fun and, age. Oh, my goodness. And then I have a 7-year-old, right? And so I've got my little 7-year-old who is still pretty sweet. She's, she's spunky, but she's still pretty sweet, you know. And then my 13-year-old, who I love and adore. And who is the most volatile individual <laughs> I have ever met in my life. And I have to keep reminding myself, this is not who she is. This is a piece of her. This is not who she is. This is a piece of her. Because she will fly off the handle. She's like, Mom, you're a terrible mother. You're a jerk. And she just say all these things to me. And I'm just like, I am not shamed. I love myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love myself for who I am. Maybe I can be a jerk sometimes, but that is a component of my life. It's <laughs> <laughs> not me. <laughs> and I, I tell you, it's been a struggle and it's been a challenge, but it's also been my biggest growing experience. Yeah. Saying, you know what? Yes, you're my daughter and I am very close to you and I see the things in you that drive me crazy. But those are probably the same things in me that drive me crazy. Right. So it's it's been an exercise of keeping my mouth shut. And I think that most of us want to tell people how to fix things. Right. Or they want to tell you just to get over it. Or yeah. why your life's not that bad. What's wrong with you? Why can't you just get over it? Um, uh, we have a friend who tries really hard to understand Ren and I, but he's never had mental health issues to deal with. And so he tries to, well, why do you get depressed? What What is this blackness you talk about? How how come you can't just make it go away? And I'm like, it's not this thing that you can just box up and articulate. If it was, I wouldn't have it, you know? And it's been a, it's been a struggle to try and get people to understand because um, most don't, you know? For me, the depression just kind of comes out of nowhere. Right. I mean, I can be trucking along and be okay, and then just, I'm like, down. 
and it just hits me. And like Ron, I will talk to Ron about it. I didn't used to talk to Ron about it because we were still trying to figure out all of his stuff. So I hid my stuff. I camouflaged it because I focused on what he needed, you know. And so when he got to the point where he was stable and he could handle everything, then I sat him down and said, okay, I need you to understand where I'm at because I'm tipping over. And if I don't tell you it's not fair to you, you don't know how to understand what's happening with me right now. Mm -hmm. And so I've gotten a lot better at communicating with him when it's coming on. And I just sit him down and I'm like, I don't know why, but the darkness is coming in. And I just need you to know because we have a hard time when I'm very good at not taking things personal when he's having a hard time when I'm okay. But when I'm not okay and he's not okay, I take it all personal, even though in my mind, I know it's not. Right. And it's that's a, a balance to try and find. So when you have people that have mental health issues that are together, it's even more of a commitment to each other through all of that. Because one, if one falls and the other falls, it's over. Right. So finding that balance and communicating and understanding each other's triggers and mechanisms and man it's a it's a pretty involved process but let me tell you what I think is beautiful about that can I can I tell you this yeah okay so I look at it um, I'm actually working on uh, I have one children's book that I finished that I'm getting published and, and I'm working on another one um, but it has to do with holes and it, it's about children in a playground and some of them live in holes and they're the children that push them into the holes whether they mean to or not and then there are the children that stand at the edge of the holes and call down to them like your friend they don't understand and they're like it looks terrible down there why can't you just get out I'm really sorry I'm, fi I'm very sad for you I wish you could just come out and come play and come be with me and then there's the children that climb into the hole and help pull them out but first they sit with them, and they listen, and they understand, and they say, I am so sorry. Maybe I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I've had this situation that has made me feel like this before, and it's hard, and I am really sorry you're going through this. And they stay with them until they're ready yeah. to get back out again. I think if Ron was here, he would agree that our friend, he's trying to figure out how to get in that hole with us, but he He's not sure, but he's come way outside his comfort zone to learn us. He, right. He took a um, he took a huge risk on being with Ron and I, and stepping outside of his comfort zone. So I genuinely appreciate every piece that he does with us yeah. to learn and grow because it's pretty amazing. Because in our little world, in that sanctuary of the shop, I would say the majority, if not all, of the people that work for us are broken. And it's a safe space because they can come to work and whatever. So the other piece of it being an employer the way I am is I've done things like it used to be taboo to talk about anything at work. You came to work, all your personal, I almost swore, <laughs> which is hard for which me is to not. Which though. Yes. <laughs> you put all that personal aside. You don't bring it into work. You, right. you don't deal with it. You just right. do your job. Well, that's unrealistic, mm -hmm. truly, to have a viable employee because all in their mind the whole time they're trying to work they're just in their mind they're they're dwelling on what's outside that door that they didn't bring in 
And so we allow them to bring it in and we talk about it while we work. So they're processing as they go through the day. And, and it creates a better employee and a better person because we all learn from each other and we're helping each other. Right. And that's amazing. And rare, unfortunately. Yeah. It's very rare. It's, um, it's even though you're, you're not actively doing social work, you know, and helping people in that way, you're still, you're helping people gain life skills while gaining emotional and intellectual and resiliency skills that they're going to need. Yeah. And I mean, I imagine that they're not planning on staying forever. I would hope not. I mean, I would love some of them to be around, but that's not our long-term goal. I mean, we're a stepping stone to their lives. We we push a lot of them to make sure that school and education and, you know, travel and do it while you're young. And, you know, we want them to go out and see the world and figure things out and not be tied down and not get pigeonholed. You know, that's easy to have happen. And so the experience and especially here in Utah you know there's that push to get married young and have children and no go go figure out you first so that you find a lasting partner and a lasting relationship and you know who you are the problem is when you have two unhealthy people yes that come together and they're very young and emotionally immature and and you, you don't have to be young to be emotionally immature so I'm just going to put that out there but you have these two people and they're very codependent because they've grown up and it's they're really not grown up, right. right? Yeah. But they've grown up in such a way that it has created these codependent tendencies. Then they come together and they're like mm-hmm. all enmeshed and in love and, and then something happens and they blow apart. And this person's in pieces over here and this person's in pieces over here and they have no way of picking pieces up. Th- yeah. But when you have two strong individual people that have learned and that have gone through challenges and and maybe they go through challenges with you know in relationships and they've they've come out stronger Uh, I'm divorced and that's really taboo around here in Utah but I'm a much stronger person because of of going through that situation and and learning things from that and so you've got a couple strong people that come in and and when their challenges blow them apart they're still two strong individuals not lying in pieces on the floor yeah it's irony in there because I came to Utah i I made my way to Utah with my first husband. <laughs> okay. So, and um, ironically, growing up, my my mom did not have a mother. Her mother abandoned her as a child. Oh. And so my mom had made a comment to me like, I didn't love your dad when I married him. I just knew he would be a good provider. Wow. Yeah. And so I started my life with that, you know. And so for a long time, my first marriage, I didn't pick what I loved. I picked what could be stable. And so the second time around, um, Ron, uh, I immediately, the very first time I saw him, I'm sorry, I got a snotty nose here. Me too. And the very first time, the very first time I saw him, I didn't even know his name. It was in the coffee shop and he came in and I looked at him and I went into the kitchen and I told the girl working for me, I don't know who he is, but he's the one. And she was like, you're out your mind. (laughs) Ironically. As a a real friend would. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, Ironically, he had the same experience. He was actually with his father's, uh, with his son's mom. um, And she made a comment about me being the skinniest person she'd ever seen. And he looked at her and said, yeah, she's, she's it. 
So, and he didn't know who I was. So here we are uh, 10 plus years later and lots of drama and struggles along the way of articulating all the pieces and a stronger he and I. I mean, we spend every day together, even our days off, um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, not that I wanna, don't want to like choke him sometimes, and me as well for him, but I can't picture it any other way. Like, if we have a day off apart from each other, we just end up in the shop together because we don't know what to do without each other because, you know, we do it all. We go shopping, we hang out, we... You know, he plays music, I listen. It's just, it's what we've evolved into is this friendship that's perfect. And you've helped and supported each other. Like you said, it hasn't been easy. No. And I think we have this princess, prince, charming mentality, that, you know, happily ever after that you know, we're going to find this person, we're going to get married, and then life's going to just, be work great out <laughs> and life does work out right but there's a whole lot of shit in there yes <laughs> but it doesn't make for good movies it makes for good reality tv shows <laughs> right definitely and so all of this stuff in between we're like well what happened to my happily ever after and then we keep searching for that happily ever after instead of creating joy in the moment right and I learning that I say when you when you find that one that you're going to love with all their pieces, you're either all in or don't even try. Right. There's no there is no in between, especially when you're dealing with mental health issues because it is a lifelong commitment. Because there are days where you are like, I don't know that I can do this another second, and somehow you just sit down and you see the bigger picture. You see all the good, all the positive, all the changes, all the spectacular moments that yeah. are just right there that you can lose sight of if you let the darkness overwhelm it. So, and then don't ever say, don't ever say that that you would leave them. No. You know, if you're going to say that, you might as well just go because yeah. that's just not acceptable. Yeah, Ron and I make some, we have some dark humor. We have really dark humor. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. Our humor is pretty dark. And uh, we were talking one day, he had some health issues, which he's a typical guy. He refuses to go to the doctor even when he should, you know. So he's making these jokes and he's like, ah, I know what you'd do without me. And I'm like, what, the 38 or the 45? Okay, so that's seriously dark humor. Yeah. But it's humor that he and I both <laughs> laughed about because we both understand that darkness that we've both been in before as well. So it it's kind of this twisted irony, you know, and... Everybody around us is like, uh, we don't know what to say to that. And we're like, That's okay. You don't have to get it. <laughs> <laughs> Uncomfortable, awkward, silent. Yes. Right? <laughs> so back when, when I was married, and uh, I didn't think about this much until later on, right? But there were some things that I would that my husband at the time, he would say, if you ever did that, I would divorce you so fast. If you ever did that, I would divorce you so fast. And I was afraid. Right. I was terrified that I was not going to be this perfect person and that he was going to divorce me. And then one day I had this traumatizing moment that was kind of my breakthrough. And I was just like, okay, I'm filing. But it, it never had entered my mind, but it had been planted, you know, all those different times. And when you're when you threaten things like that, you know, in yeah. a relationship, it kills it. Yeah. And maybe it kills it in stages over time, 
but it's not love. It's cancer. It is. And it's funny you said that because shortly after my divorce, I was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I truly believe that cancer thrives in unhealthy bodies when we're not at ease, when we're so stressed out that cancer really thrives in there. And uh, the, the number of people that get divorced that then find out they have cancer is huge. I need to be at that number so that I have I that wouldn't number, be surprised. Yes. I yeah. mean, there are lots of people that are married that get as well and, you know, and single people as well. But when you're just living in constant dis-ease, right. um, that cancer just thrives. So In Ron's process of growing, you know, he would say to me along the path every once in a while, not hardly ever anymore, but before he'd say it a lot, are you ready to leave me yet? Because in Aww. the beginning he would say to me, yeah. you have to get out of my life. I'm going to destroy you. And I was like, I'm not going anywhere, friend. So you better get used to it. And, you know, that process of trying to run someone away when you don't believe that you deserve something good is pretty brutal. And he would write these long, hateful messages. I mean, the most articulate pieces that he could find that he thought would be damaging. And I would write him back. I don't care what you say right now. I'm not going to engage in this. And I love you. And then he would get even madder. (laughs) And then silence. And then he would show up and say, I'm sorry. And I'm like, you don't need to be sorry. I'm not going anywhere. And I think we did that battle for, I don't know how many years. He's sitting over here behind us. But I I finally was like, listen, it it doesn't matter what you say to make me go away. I'm not going away. And I think at some point he was like, okay, she really does. She really isn't going to leave me. But he was so accustomed to the damage and the brokenness that he had been dealing with for his whole life that you know, he had previously been involved with women that treated him the way he had been treated growing up, like he was less than human. And I was having no part of that. And so, you know, when we started having conversations just as friends and I would point things out to him, he was like, I didn't see it like that. You know, it's it's when we become accustomed to something like that, it is so that uncomfortable familiarity mm. is so much safer. Right. Then. Well, it's known. It's yes, what you know. It's what you know. And the, the the fear of the unknown outweighs the negative of the known, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then there are those of us that have the opportunity to fight out of that and realize how amazing it can be on the other side. And it's it's a process. And long process. Very long process. And something, when I talked about the, the shame and the vulnerability, Shame has to have several things in order for it to survive. Right. And one of those things is the secrecy, okay? And when th- when there's secrecy that, that shrouds things, because we don't want people to know about things, we feel ashamed about it. We, we're scared. We're in fear. Um, but then when you come along, so, you know, someone comes along and they have empathy for you, and they can sit there with you in that darkness, and they can love you for who you are, and right. help you find the lovable bits in yourself, then that shame starts to go away. But it's such a vulnerable thing that is very uncomfortable for us to do it. So we push, we push away, we push away, we push away because that vulnerability is so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's an, and it's amazing that it, we lived exactly what you just said. And now, I mean, there is n- nothing that Ron and I don't know about each other. I mean, we it's all out there. And we're pretty open about who we are around us. We don't, I don't, I'm too old to care 
whether or not you <laughs> like me. I'm going to be my authentic self because yes. if I'm not, then what's the point? I'm not living to meet other people's expectations. I'm living to be who I am. And I'm broken and I swear and I cook and I am empathetic and I have zero tolerance for bullshit. And that's just who I am. And I tell people, you, you don't have to like me. That's okay. But don't expect me to change to fit your format of what life should be. I can't do it. I won't do it. That's the moment I shouldn't be here anymore. You're, you're your own evolving masterpiece. Yeah. And, you know, art is different for everybody. Some people love Picasso, you know, and some people love Rembrandt. My dad was an artist, so personally, I love my dad's oil paintings of nature. But each one of us is our own masterpiece in our own unique way. I mean, I'm probably that, that Picasso with, like, the nose down here and the <laughs> eye up here. <laughs> you know, the abstract is much more different than, you know, your classical art. But right. it's still beautiful. And it was still a process and a creative process at that to create it. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, huh? It is. It's pretty awesome. In retrospect. Yeah. When you think about it like that and you sit back and you analyze that for a moment, it's like, well, it's pretty cool. It really is. And the moment I met you, I knew there was something different about you. I know. And I we had it. that. We did. We had that Immediately. Moment. And I was like, I like her. And I don't know why, but I'm going to find out why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that day, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You had your co very colorful hair. It's yeah. not as colorful today, but, well, but I do like Well, we're working on it. We re-bleached it. Ron helps me do my hair, so. Oh, that is so awesome. We do it together. We figure out what we're going to do next, and we create it's a masterpiece. It's part of, part <laughs> of your art, right? It is. My hair is what I have, you know. I have lots of tattoos, and they all mean something to me, and, you know, that's another piece that people don't understand. There's such a taboo around tattoos that's getting better now. But that someone asked me, a gal in Roy asked me one time, um, an older customer, she'd been coming there forever, and she finally asked me one day, why do you do that? And I said, this is the one thing I do for myself that no one can take from me. It's solely mine. And she was like, wow. She actually brought a friend the next day and was like, tell her what you told me yesterday. And, you know, just that different perspective. She grew up religious, you know, all of that, and... She never stopped to think outside of that box what right. it could mean. Well, and you made an impact on her with your honesty. And you weren't ashamed of it. No. This has flown by so yeah. fast. <laughs> I'm like, whoo, we, we still have a few minutes. So one of the other things I wanted to talk about is when you have, like you have a very unique personality. I mean, we all have our unique personalities, right? But you are authentic about it. Were you always authentic? It doesn't sound like it because you were... You were married once before, and you said yeah. you married for the wrong reasons, that you weren't authentic, you weren't true to yourself. So how did you decide or become me, your authentic person? I was, I think, mostly I took more ownership in 2013 of who I was after I hit rock bottom and ended up in the hospital in the psychiatric ward. I hit an all-time low, and suicide was right there. And it was also the time in my life where I decided to go see a psychiatrist and deal with some of the issues that I had never dealt with. Um, I had been abused as a kid sexually. I had never dealt with that. I had never dealt with my mom telling me, um, you know, I never really wanted you. I just wanted your brothers. I never knew what to mm -hmm. do with you. 
and realizing that had nothing to do with me, but my whole childhood it did until mm-hmm. I stepped back and was like, that, that's not what she meant. Right. But I took it as this thing that it manifested into, and I had all of these pieces. I mean, I was always kind of in your face and didn't really care what people thought of me, but I didn't care about me either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was the transition of not caring about myself to caring about myself and loving myself that I think strongly made that change. Now I'm just true, like I truly love exactly who I am and I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I love who I am. I love what I do. I love my relationship. I love my employees. I love my business. I love that I can have empathy and boundaries with people that no one else would give opportunities to. I mean, I don't know many other people that take their 66-year-old customer shopping that just got his first apartment in 30 years and had a great time shopping with him because I can appreciate his story. I appreciate people's stories now. So I think that time in 2013, um, my roommate had just committed suicide. He used my gun to kill himself. I was the one that found him. Then I found out that he had been sexually abusing his best friend's 14-year-old daughter. Um, So then I, I had guilt because how did I not see that, you know? And then three months later... Was it even three months later, my best friend hung herself? Um, and then Ron was still learning and figuring himself out. And he's, he, in the same span of these few days of my friend killing herself, Ron sat me down and said, I just don't want to, I can't do this. And I just hit this like rock bottom. We had financial issues going on. My mom was sick. My dad was struggling. All Just the weight of the world is what it felt like to me. And I just tipped over. And then in the climb of coming back out of that, I had to reposition myself and refocus and figure out what really was my baggage and what I had taken as my baggage and separate those things and learn from it. And find the bits of yourself that you could love. Yes. And over time, you learn to love all of you. Exactly. We don't have to just love ourselves all. It's like, I love myself, I love myself. Right, it doesn't work like that. Except that one part, you know. Right. We just find a little bit of yourself that you love. Yeah. Let that love grow and grow as you find more and more bits. Yeah, it was a definite transition. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've always been a hard worker, and I've always had the ethics, you know, work ethic and, and respect and responsibility, but I didn't have the love for me. I had to find that. And then you helped Ron find it as well, too. Yeah, I think he loves himself pretty good right now. He's working on it. Aren't we all? Yeah, he's uh, fighting for himself, Yeah. which I don't think he had ever done until a year ago in April. He really, truly started. I mean, he had been fighting for himself, but he hadn't truly succumbed to it. I am worth all of this. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. When we finally figure it out that we are so worth it. Yeah. Every single one of us. And it doesn't matter if we're a a doctor on the hill or if we're a homeless person in the corner. And that's why I, that's why I feel so strongly about using the cafe as our platform because Ron has been through homelessness and addiction and mental health issues and abuse and, that trauma. And so I have watched his journey and I've been part of his journey and I see the example he is today for people. I mean, he had a homeless guy come up to him and say, I, I've heard your story on the street and I want you to know that you're an inspiration to us, that we know that we can do it too. That's so awesome. I mean, and he doesn't see the impact he's made, but I see the impact he's made. Mm-hmm. You know, he truly is a role model for people to look at and say, 
this guy's doing it, and I, s- I know just a snippet of his story, and mine doesn't, mine fails to compare, so I need to quit feeling sorry for myself and take ownership and, and climb up out of this. And when somebody has a path to follow, because not everybody is great at forging the path, right? at pushing ahead, at getting the bruises and the bumps and the scrapes, but when they can see that someone else has already made a path for them, yeah. that they can follow and they can see the footprints or they can see the light ahead. A lot more people are willing to follow the path right. than try to make their own. And so it's so important, the work you guys are doing in helping these people to understand their value and to move ahead step by step by step. And it's surprising to me I, that we have had such an impact that I didn't pay attention to. I mean, we have people that reach out to us. A lady came in on Sunday and it was kind of surreal for me because she was super excited and she I like walked out and she was like my god my heart is racing I was so excited to get to meet you and I'm like me (laughs) she's like I follow you online and I don't think you understand the impact you've had in my life just from afar and I'm so excited that I get to actually meet you and you're here today and I was like wow it was really cool but at the same time I was like me because I'm just being me. But then I realized so many people don't just be me. You know, they don't, don't know how. Yeah. And they're like, here's someone that is doing it. And if all of my bits are okay to be seen, right? I want to know how to do that too. Because you've said, here, here are all of my pieces. Here, world. Here I am. Yeah. And so many people are like, here are the five pieces I want you to see <laughs> and the rest I'm just going to keep back here because I'm ashamed of it. Right? Yeah, we definitely have thrown it all out there. Yeah, and that's great. I'm like, you know what? Shame cannot live where there's light and honesty and truth. Yeah, there's definitely and no love. shame for us. We're just like, this is who we are, period. So it works. Right where you need to be. Well, thank you. We thank are you. a little bit short on time today. Sorry. Don't be sorry. That went quick. You are not sorry, remember? <laughs> you are not sorry. I apologize. <laughs> we went over on our time. I just yeah. had this with Well, we got started a little bit late, so, so it's not you. But thanks again for being here today. I'd love to do a follow-up sometime. It'd be awesome. And talk about your journaling and some of the things that you've, you've, uh, you guys have done. And if we get some more headsets, we can have Ron on. And <laughs> he, he would he, be awesome. He rolls his eyes. Ugh. Well, so. the very first video he ever did on Facebook Live with me, I thought he was going to pass out kid you not like his heart was racing he was like grabbing his chest he was like get the camera off me by the second one he's like oh what's up he was all like and now as you watch him I mean we try to do him weekly we haven't been so good about it in the last couple of weeks it's just been crazy but he just sits down and he is here I am it's awesome and it's awesome it is amazing and people have watched his transition and a lot of people that followed us from Roy to here have seen the entire transition from the Ron that, you know, did the tug of war with emotions to the guy that's out in front of the camera, you know, just going for it. They're nodding. He's like, yep, yep, this is true. So it's, I'm super proud of him. I'm super proud of both of us because we just decided this is who we are and we're not going to, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to try to fit in. I'm not going to cookie cutter myself. I'm, I'm not going to be a part of the clique or the clan or I'm just going to be me and it's either going to work or not. And that's going to be okay either way. And it's beautiful because it shows other people that you can do it and you can be okay doing it. Maya Angelou had a poem, and I'm going to absolutely butcher it, but basically she says that we belong every place, we belong no place, we belong nowhere at all. 
And really, when we understand that we really belong to ourselves, and being able to belong to ourselves allows us to belong everywhere and nowhere all at once. It's pretty awesome. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to come to that realization. It's pretty awesome right there. Well, on that note, Kay. I love you. Thank you. I love you This is you not as well. a handshake. This I is know. A, this is a warm love you Pretty touch. Cool. <laughs> thank you. And thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you at our next podcast and YouTube session. Yeah. <laughs> Night. <laughs>